If you would, turn in your Bible to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 7. And we'll pick up right where Pastor left off last Wednesday evening. And Jesus said in John 15, verse 7, if you abide in me, and remember that word abide means to remain in, live in, settle down in, take up residence in. And this ought to be a constant, ongoing thing in our lives. It ought not just be temporary or occasional. It ought not just be when there's a need or an emergency. And what really grieves me is that when I get uh, a message or a text or an email and someone says, Pastor Austin, it's an emergency or it's a terrible situation, and my first thought is, wait a second, when is the last time I saw you in church? Then I check with the office, and it might have been a year ago. And it wasn't even someone came and was present, heard the word, and gave. It was, they might have come, they might have checked their children in, and that's it. Abide means to live in, settle down in, take up residence in, and this ought to be continuous, ongoing, daily action. And as Pastor said last Wednesday evening, dealing with prayer, dealing with confession, well, Pastor, when do I not have to do this? Well, when you step into eternity, when you uh, pass from this life to the next, and you're in the city of God. Although, if you read your Bible carefully, we're going to be busy doing things for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Worshiping Him, being assigned tasks and things to oversee on the remodeled earth. So we're going to be busy. Amen. Amen. And if you thought you're just going to be lounging around, I got news for you. (laughs) If you abide in me and my words abide, live in, settle down in, take up residence in you, you will ask what? you desire or will, and it shall be done for you. So as we've been learning, the word of God should have lordship over every area of our lives, over our decision-making, over our lifestyle. It is a total package deal. And so many, they they want a quick fix. So many, they, they want magic or they've not been in church, they've not been hearing the word, they've not been doing the word, and they want Austin or Aaron or Pastor Sue to break out the magic wand and fix all their problems. But see, you gotta be in church, you gotta be hearing the word, you gotta be being discipled, and then you've gotta be living the Christian life. If you're married, you gotta be living the Christian life in your marriage. In your work, your career, you've gotta be living the Christian life and conducting yourself morally, ethically, righteously. Well, I wonder why my prayers aren't being heard. I wonder why my prayers aren't being answered. I wonder why the things I want and desire aren't coming to pass. Well, you're not abiding. You're not abiding in the Word. The Word's not abiding in you. You're not abiding in the house of God. People wonder, where are they? Where have they been? And then, because you're not abiding in the word, his word's not abiding in you, 
there's all sorts of parts of your life where they're out of line with the Word of God. The Word of God should have the Lordship over every area of our lives, over our decision-making, over our lifestyle. This is how it should be. Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And yet, sadly, too many believers don't walk in the light of the word of God. And if you just got saved last Sunday, well, you ought to walk in the light that you know. But if you've been saved 25 years, you don't need to hear another sermon about tithing. You need to walk in the light of what you know. And until you walk in the light of the word you know, answered prayer will be hindered. Blessings will be hindered. God's goodness and God's favor and God's best will be hindered in your life. Jesus said in John 11, beginning in verse 9, a man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. You can read the epistle 1 John. John says the same thing there, that we're to walk in the light as he is in the light. And if we claim to walk in the light, yet walk in darkness, we're deceived, and there's no, we're, we're not in the truth, we're not in him. So God's word should have lordship over every area of our lives, and that includes our prayer lives. Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and his word should be the authority for how we live, for every decision, yes, for our behavior and conduct, and for how we pray. Yet how many take this seriously? Sometimes I'll say to my parents, I wonder, I wonder if people actually read the Bible. I wonder if people actually believe the Bible. Yes, praise God for his grace and his mercy and his goodness, but there's another side to all of this. And that if you head down certain roads, there's wrath, there's judgment. One of the greatest sermons that A.A. Allen ever preached was a sermon entitled, God is a Killer. And maybe it would do everybody good to listen to that once a quarter to put the fear and the sobriety of Almighty God into you. That if you do certain things and conduct yourself in a certain way, you're not just living in the realm of neutral. There's a negative bad harvest headed your way. And the Lord doesn't even have to do anything. If he removes his hand of blessing, favor, and that hedge of protection, it is open season for the enemy. How many live this way? Consider Luke 6, verse 31. It's the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Do unto others, I like the King James, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But if you're not doing unto others righteously or walking in love or being a blessing, why, why would you expect Father God to hear you, Amen. to answer you, to bless you, to favor you? to increase you. The extent to which we walk in the righteousness of God and the extent to which we walk in his power is the same extent to which we take him at his word and obey his word. Someone might say, oh yes, Pastor Austin, I, I obey the Lord. Well, do you walk in righteousness? Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. It is a total package deal. So if you want your prayer life to work, you gotta walk with the Lord. 
you actually have to abide in him. And his word actually has to abide in you. An example is in David's life. Turn to the book of Psalms. Look at Psalm 101. It says the Psalm of David. David writes in Psalm 101, I will sing of your love and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praise. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. Now, this is a man living under the old covenant with the revelation that came from the old covenant. And we have a new covenant with a superior high priest and better promises. Yet David, not knowing as much as we know, said, I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will walk in my house with blameless heart. I will set before my eyes no vile thing. The deeds of faithless men I hate, they will not cling to me. Men of perverse heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with evil. So why did God bless him? Why did God use him? Why did God do wonderful things in his life and through him? Why, why was God able to use David in ways he could not use Saul? Because David walked with the Lord. Amen. And this has everything to do with a successful prayer life, an effective prayer life, a prayer life of answered prayer, to abide in him and for his word to abide in us. I will have nothing to do with evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, him will I put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, him will I not endure. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. He whose walk is blameless will minister to me. You know, Kenneth Hagin Sr. would say that the anointing comes by association and environment. That, that's true in the positive, but it's also true in the negative. So David saw that even in terms of who he would allow to minister into his life. He whose walk is blameless will minister to me. You hang around with shady, you're going to end up with shady things going on in your life. Right. You hang around uh, people that are unethical and misbehaving and up to no good, paying each other back. What, what, that's what you're going to have in your life. You hang around amoral or immoral, that's what you're going to have in your life. Those negative things will come upon you. And so David said he was even careful as far as who he would allow to minister and speak into his life. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. And so again, we walk in love, but that doesn't mean we have to have somebody up to no good near us. So David said, they will not stand in my presence. Every morning I will put to silence the wicked in the land and I will cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. Well, I wonder why he was blessed of God. Too many believers fail to understand some basic truths. It's not really about this life. It is about the next life. And there will be a reckoning. We will be judged. Now, unbelievers will stand before Father God at the great white throne judgment. Revelation says that the, the small, the great, they'll be there. But believers will stand before Jesus Christ at his judgment seat. And we're going to have to give an account for our lives, for what we did, for what we said, for what we did with the gifts, the talents, the abilities that God gave unto us. So we will be judged. 
And I know that that's not popular today because people want to believe in just grace, just mercy, and grace is so abused and distorted today. A popular teaching is that grace means that we can live however we want. Grace means that we can conduct ourselves however we want. People that believe all that nonsense, they don't read the Bible. They don't read the New Testament. There's just as much sobering stuff in the New Testament as there is in the Old Testament. New Testament, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. New Testament, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. New Testament. And so there's coming a day we will be judged. And so we have to live mindful of the fact and pray mindful of the fact that every verse in the Bible is true. And you don't want to get on the wrong side of any verse. And pastor left off mentioning this last week. I brought the reference, Proverbs 17, 13. If a man pays back evil for good, evil will never leave his house. This is true. This is just as true as Philippians 4, 19, or any one of our favorite verses. If a man pays back evil for good, evil will never leave his house. So how we conduct ourselves has everything to do with answered prayer. You go over to 1 John, 1 John 3, verse 21. John writes, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us. See, if I'm not walking in righteousness, abiding in him and his word abiding in me, how am I going to pray with confidence? And if I pray in doubt and unbelief, I'm automatically not praying in faith. And this, this is all over the New Testament. Turn your Bible to Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 17. This is all over the New Testament. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 17, Paul writes, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with the continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in Jesus, taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So we're to abide in him, and his word is to abide in us so that over time we become more like who? The Lord. Not, not more like the world, more like, more like the Lord. And I know it's a saying, and there's some truth to it. We're all a work in progress, but some of us need to hurry up the renovations. <laughs> you know, if you've not made any progress in the last 10 years, you need a new uh, theme or slogan. We're to be become more like him. And if we're not becoming more like him, we're doing Christianity wrong. Amen. Therefore, each of you must put off. So there are some things we have to put off. Now think about this. If I don't put these things off, am I going to have my prayers answered? Am I going to walk in the blessings of the Lord the way I should? Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members, one body. 
in your anger, do not sin. So you gotta put off falsehood, gotta put off anger. Maybe you grew up in a home where anger was displayed. And there is such a thing as righteous anger, but that's not what I'm talking about. Gotta put off anger, in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. We've used that verse many times in this series. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Paul wrote elsewhere that that is what you were. But now that we are in Christ, he who stole must steal no longer. See, that there's a message out there that, that grace means we just do whatever we want, live however we want, it's, it's going to be all good. That is a lie. We are to put off the old man, the old woman. Now, sometimes social media, old pictures get displayed, or there's a family gathering, old pictures get displayed, and we'll see ourselves in a certain outfit, and we'll think, praise God, don't have that anymore. <laughs> don't wear that anymore. Well, the things that had to do with the flesh, the things that had to do with the old you, your old manner of living and conduct, you've got to put those things off. And we all have different things to work on. I said we all have different things to work on. Based on our background, things the Lord has forgiven us of, set us free of, things we grew up with, we all have plenty to work on. Amen. That's why, I'll amen myself. That's why Jesus said, Instead of busying yourself with the speck of dust in someone else's eye, first, first deal with the log, the plank in your own eye. Why? Because that's to your good. That's to your benefit. Amen. If little foxes spoil the vine, what, what about, how, how is that big plank hindering you and your blessings? Verse 29, do not let any, Say any. any. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. So if, if I don't have wholesome talk coming out of my mouth and I'm tearing down, tearing down, tearing down, can I then, as, J, as John warns us, can I pray with confidence? No, because if I have unwholesome talk and I'm using my mouth and my tongue to tear others down, I'm not going to have, my heart will condemn me. And I will not have confidence when I pray. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We're, we're, we're to walk with him. We've learned he, he leads us to green pastures and still water. So when there's anger, we grieve him. When we're not walking in love, we grieve him. When we're wa walking in forgiveness, we grieve him. When we're using the tongue not for good but for evil, we grieve him. And again, if, if he's leading us to green pastures and still waters, but we, we grieve him and the Holy Spirit backs off, that's not to our good. And do not grieve him. Verse 31, get rid of all. How much? All. all. Get rid of all bitterness. You got to let it go. Got to let it go. You got to let it go. You got to put it in the hands of God and let it go. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander. 
So the world may slander, but we should not. You know, at some point, someone should have taught you, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it at all. We're, we're to build each other up, not tear each other down. Along with every, and slander, along with every form of malice. What's malice? It is wanting to do harm to another person. It is plotting, conspiring, working to do harm to a person, to a business, a family. It is wanting to do harm. And again, if somebody is operating in slander or in anger or they're, they're headed down the road of malice trying to hurt someone, trying to do harm to someone, trying to hinder someone for whatever reason, well, we know their heart is going to condemn them so they can't pray with confidence. And if they can't pray with confidence, are they going to pray in faith? No. So is God going to hear them? No. And their prayers are not going to be answered. Verse 32, here's the positive. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So we simply have not understood properly the power of walking in love. And yes, it has everything to do with the Christian life, but it also has everything to do with a successful prayer life. The love command is the command of the New Testament. James calls it the royal law of love. We dealt with that in the offering Sunday. Galatians 5, verse 6, faith worketh how? By love. Well, Austin, I'm, I'm going to get it to work some other way. It's not going to work. Because David also wrote that when we lie down to sleep, God knows what's going on here. He knows what's going on here. And John writes, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us. So it has everything to do with answered prayer. Faith worketh by love. Well, if faith worketh by love, what about prayer? Can we... Pray and be effective without the love of God or without the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit? Can we pray in faith for not walking in love? In, in the home, if there's a lack of love, it'll hinder the prayer life. 1 Peter 3, verse 7 is an example. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So see, not walking in love in the home, it can be a hindrance to prayer, to answered prayer. We cannot pray in faith for not walking in love. Consider Mark 11, verse 25, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. The King James, your, your trespasses. You might say, Austin, I don't want to forgive them. That's part of being a human being. But we're to do what the word says. So you've got to put them, you've got to put the situation, you've got to put whatever it is in the hands of God, forgive them, bless them, and then begin believing God proactively to make the situation, whatever it is, up to you sevenfold. So that nothing will hinder your praying, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. We know from James that our prayer life will be powerless and ineffective if we have wrong motives. 
James 4, verse 3, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. It's about the heart. And if you were here during the week of increase, so much of it, what pastor preached, it was about the heart. Your heart's got to be right. And if your heart's not right, it's going to short circuit everything that God wants to do, that, desire, that he desires to do. If my motives are wrong or selfish, then I'm not walking in love. How then can I pray? How then can I pray with a clean or clear conscience? How then can I pray in faith? Faith worketh by love. And why would we expect prayer to work any other way? So we love our heavenly father, so we pray. We love others, and so we pray. We pray for them. Rather than talk about it, pray about it. Rather than talk about it, go to your heavenly father about it. Amen. We love our church and church family, so we pray. We pray, we pray for one another. We come to know our heavenly father through his word. That's what John 15 is about to remain in him and for his word to remain in us. So it should be a joy and a delight for us to spend time in the word and in prayer. In John's gospel, Jesus told the religious leaders that he revealed the Father, his every word, his every deed. To know Jesus is to know the Father. So we know our heavenly Father through Jesus. We know our heavenly Father through the word. And it should be a joy, a delight for us to spend time in the word and for us to spend time in prayer. It's the life of abiding. It's the life Jesus taught in John 15, to abide in him and his word to abide in us. We know the Father through his word. We know Jesus by his words. And Father God knows us by our words. Some say that words do not matter, but what did Jesus say? Matthew 12, verse 37, for by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. And this is why some of the most sobering stuff is in the Gospels. So this is why people heading down that wrong road now want to say, well, nothing Jesus taught applies to us. It's just total, utter, and complete nonsense. Amen. And Jesus dealt with this in the Sermon on the Mount, that those who teach the sheep of God to break the commands of God will face greater judgment. It is not going to be pleasant for some. We're to obey his commands. And walking with him and abiding with him and walking with him in righteousness has everything to do with answered prayer. So what do we say when we pray? Well, we speak the word, faith-filled words. Prayer is fellowship with our heavenly father. And prayer is a great opportunity offered to all of us. But if that's true, that is why there are enemies that stand in the way of a faithful and fruitful prayer life. Leonard Ravenhill, a great revivalist, once said, no man or woman is greater than his prayer life. He also told ministers that once you determine to pray, Satan will line up a million distractions. The, the most annoying person you know, they are going to call. Now, he didn't say that. That's me. <laughs> Just an example. To live a life of prayer, you're going to have to learn to pray in secret, like Jesus, in the early hours, in the late hours, in the quiet places, in the secret place, when, when no one is awake or looking. 
James 5, verse 16, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 5, Jesus said, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues, on the street corners, to be seen by men. I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You know, social media is influencing so much, but not everything has to be on social media. Your prayer time ought to be between you and the Lord. When we pray, we wrestle things out and we win the victory in the spirit realm. Like Jacob, when he wrestled with the Lord and said in Genesis 32, verse 26, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. Like the widow in the parable in Luke 18 when Jesus taught that we should always pray and never give up. When we pray, we wrestle things out and we win the victory in the spirit realm. Like Abraham when he interceded that with Father God regarding Sodom. What if there are 50 righteous? What if there are 40? What if there are 30? What if there are 20? What, what if there are 10? And somebody might say, well, there weren't 10. But Lot and Abraham in interceding, Lot and his family were saved. And that's the grace and mercy of God. Lot lived outside of Sodom. Then he was living where? Inside of Sodom. And that, that's the church. And that's ministry. And that's people. Oh, you know, we're, 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 you know, I know you only see us every, every eight weeks, but, you know, we'll, 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 you'll see, see more of us than it's every 12 weeks, than it's every 16 weeks, than it's every 32 weeks, then, Pastor, it's an emergency. When we pray, we wrestle things out and we win the victory. Before Jesus chose the 12, he spent the night of prayer. How many of us, though, fail to pray at all, before making major decisions in life? How many of us fail to pray at all before making major decisions in life? Where to go to school? Who to date? Who not to date? Who to marry? Who not to marry? Whether to take that job offer, whether to go into business with so-and-so, whether to move there, whether, whether to live there. How many of us do not pray at all before making major decisions. So many do their own thing and then when there's an emergency, they want prayer or they want emergency prayer. Leonard Ravenhill said that if we fail in our prayer life, we fail everywhere. If you fail to pray, then you'll be a failure at living the Christian life. And if you fail to pray, you will fail in life. Because again, the Spirit of God is trying to lead us to green pastures and still water. But what if you don't take the time to abide in him? What if you don't take the time for his word to abide in you? What, what if you don't have the time set aside in the quiet place, in the secret place, to ask the Lord, to seek the Lord, and then to listen for direction? And this is where our failures arise. But it's not God's best, and we don't have to do it that way. Prayer is the greatest opportunity offered to us. But that's why there are enemies that stand in the way of a faithful and fruitful prayer life. This is why Satan makes it his business 
to see that your prayer life or the prayer life of pastor, us, or the prayer life of the church is ineffective or that we're busy doing everything except what we're supposed to be doing. An example is in Acts 6, beginning in verse 1. It says, in those days when the number of disciples were increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. If you read the New Testament, you'll see that in the early church, in terms of being a blessing to those in need, the primary concerns were being a blessing to those in the church community that fell into two categories, widows and orphans. And why widows? It was the ancient world. And in the ancient world, women married when they were younger. They married men who were older, so they were disproportionately likely to be widowed. And in the ancient world, a widowed woman, unless extended family could support and provide for her, there weren't a lot of options. And this was a dispute among Jewish widows. There were those that had embraced Greek culture to some degree, and they were looked down upon the more uh, devout, conservative Jews. And this was a dispute among them. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and of wisdom will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to which two things? Prayer and ministry of the word. But see, if Pastor Gene and Sue and if Aaron and I, if we're not careful, we'll get to, we can distract with all kinds of things. Amen. But our focus should be prayer and ministry of the word. That's why somebody shows up Friday or calls the office Friday, they want emergency counseling. It is not going to happen. 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 Amen. That's why we have a form. And it's not a short form. And on that form, we want to know, when was the last time you were in church? Because the focus should be Sunday. The focus should be prayer and study and preparation for Sunday to feed the sheep. And see, when that's not the focus, then we're ineffective and unproductive. But, but it's the same in your life, in your family, and in what you do. When you determine that you are going to abide in him, and his word is going to abide in you. And you're going to spend time in the word. And you're going to spend time in prayer. Satan will line up distractions. And these distracting people, they're not evil people. They're just ready and available to volunteer to be a distraction. Amen. And so you have to be able to identify distractions as distractions. So you can do what you need to do. So you can focus on what you need to do. Otherwise, we don't do the things that have the power, which is spending time in the word and spending time in prayer. Satan would not be a good deceiver or adversary if he did not have countless ways to make our prayer lives useless or countless ways to discourage us from praying at all. And that's why when you spend time in prayer, you need to, you need to hide your phone, disappear your phone, Leave it in another room, put it in a lockbox. Whatever your issues are, you got, you got to make that thing disappear. You know, you'll start to pray and get an email from your long lost best friend or whoever it is. 
How, how can you be listening if, you know, you're, oh, well, they like the post. Oh, they, they like the post. So you got to set the distractions aside. A believer is no more powerful or effective than his prayer life. And a church is no more powerful or effective than its prayer life. Pray not only for your needs. Pray for others. Pray for your church. Pray for your pastors. Pray and intercede for other believers, not just in America, but around the world. Lend yourself to the Holy Spirit to be used in the ministry of intercessory prayer. Romans 8, verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. You might say, Austin, I, I don't know how exactly to pray for them or for that situation. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Then pray in the Spirit. Pray in tongues. Ephesians 6.18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Keep on praying. Keep on praying. Keep on praying. Pray in the Spirit how often? On always. On all occasions. All the time. When do, I, when do I not have to make my confessions anymore? When you go to be with the Lord. When do I not need to pray anymore? When, when you're in heaven. In the meantime, we're to pray. We're to pray always. We're to pray and not give up. The key is faithfulness and consistency. And this is why if you're new to us or new to Faith Christian Center, when it comes to time and prayer, we encourage you to get started. And no, I'm not gonna encourage you to get started in an hour. We encourage you to get started and then to be consistent. If you can't pray 10 minutes a day faithfully and consistently, why would you think you're gonna pray half an hour a day faithfully and consistently? So you've gotta get started. And like any goal, you've gotta start with something that is reasonable and doable, and then you've gotta discipline yourself to be consistent. This is why we also do not put burdens on your back that you cannot carry. That you ought to pray as much as pastor, or you ought to pray as much as me, or that you ought to pray so many hours a day, or that we need to do things like gather for all night prayer. Smith Wigglesworth said, I can get more out of believing God for one minute than by shouting at him all night. People get into unhealthy, extreme, desperate things when they're not faithful, not consistent, and not a doer of the word. Amen. Austin, what are you going to do tonight? I'm going to go home and sleep the sleep of the righteous. Because I got up this morning, I spent time in the word, I spent time in prayer, buried the husband of one of our longest church members, prepared, studied, prayed for tonight, did my duty. I'm going to go home and sleep the sleep of the righteous. Because I'm living right, I'm doing right, brought our ties tonight. I don't need to do any extreme crazy thing tonight. Amen. You see it? See, if you get started and if you're consistent, so if you pray half an hour a day, 365 days a year, you, you don't need to do some crazy thing because you're living the life. Amen. See, the people that get into crazy, desperate, extreme things, they're, they're, it's like football. You know, when I, when I was in elementary school or junior high, I played Madden football. 
You know, I, I don't even want to admit to this, but you know, you throw the Hail Mary. You're desperate for a touchdown. The believers doing that are the very same believers that are not faithful, they're not consistent, they're not planted and rooted in the house of the Lord, they're not doers of the word of God. Amen. The key is to do what you ought to be doing and to do it faithfully and consistently. Amen. People get into unhealthy, extreme, desperate things when they're not faithful, they're not consistent, and they're not a doer of the word. Amen. Prayer is the secret of the victorious Christian life. Leonard Ravenhill also said, the secret of praying is praying in secret. A sinning man will stop praying, and a praying man will stop sinning. Men and women who learn the secret of reaching the throne room of God, getting the ear, the ear of God, become dangerous to the hosts of darkness. Ephesians 6, verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. People aren't the problem. The enemy is the problem. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and power, and powers, but that's only true if we pray. That's only true if we show up. That's only true if you, you have a place you pray. That's only true if you set aside the time to pray. That's only true if you clock in to pray. Yes, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers. But that is only true if we pray. No one else can do your praying for you. No one else can do your praying for you. And the truth is, our Heavenly Father expects more believers that are mature, that have heard more word, that have been in church longer. And that's why you come to a place where you're saying, Aaron, can you pray an emergency prayer for me? Austin, can you pray an emergency prayer for me? It is not going to cut it. You're going to have to do your own praying. No one else can do it for you. We wrestle in prayer. We win the victory in prayer, but that is only true if we pray. John Knox stood alone when he fought Queen Mary, the Catholic queen known as Bloody Mary, and she feared him. Martin Luther's prayers birthed the Protestant Reformation, and he prayed and sought God. When John Knox cried out in prayer, give me Scotland or I die, when Martin Luther cried out, I will not let go of you, God, until you give me Germany, God heard them, and God answered them. If we fail in prayer, we fail everywhere. Famous pastor in the late 18th century in America was Edward Payson of Portland, Maine. He was known as Praying Payson. He would kneel at the side of his bed and pray and pray. When he died and they washed his body for burial, they found great big calluses on his knees, like the kind a camel would have. According to church tradition, James, the half-brother of Jesus, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, was known as Old Camel Knees because his knees were calloused from prayer. It's a fact, though, that Edward Payson had calloused knees. They saw him washing his body, and that's because he used to pray at the side of his bed, kneeling on a hardwood floor. And there in that home, grooves were worn into that floor from where he knelt 
to pray. I still remember the day that Aaron and I stood in T.L. and Daisy Osborne's prayer chapel. And there in that chapel, they had an altar bench that was made out of wood at a crusade where a dead child was carried to that platform. And the Almighty God did a wonderful miracle. And that child got up and was raised from the dead. We were in that chapel, standing in that chapel. I knew <laughs> this is a room where they, they pray. We are standing on holy ground. It is a wonderful privilege that our Heavenly Father has given to us to enter into his throne room any time we want. <laughs> Early in the morning at home in a child's bedroom, you know, when you're at work and you get bad news, you go to your car, wherever. It is an awesome privilege he has given us to enter into his throne room anytime we want with boldness, with confidence that he hears us, that he answers us. But we have to do it. We have to do it. And I can't do it for you and you can't do it for me. But if we do it, it is not just a great privilege, but it is powerful and it is effective. Think about it. If dead men who are unsaved with their sins only covered over by the blood of animals could get results when they prayed, then how much more can we get results when we pray? As men and women whose sins are not just covered over, but they are washed away. And we can enter into the throne room of God with confidence, with boldness. But you have to pray. It is an awesome, awesome privilege.